Broadcasting live from Wallace and Gromit in the wrong trousers, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. This week, we end the Daniel Craig era with the brand new James Bond adventure, No Time to Die, which we went and saw at the wonderful Oriental Theater here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. First time pop culture reference has gone back to the movies since the pandemic began. Yeah, real exciting stuff. I I had a great time, and I can't wait to talk to you about this, man. I It's it's going to be very, very interesting to kind of round out our... Uh, I think this has maybe been the thing we've talked about the longest on this show. It's been in development and delayed for so long this is truly like the the final end of the road for this piece of news finally yeah i think we've been talking about doing the craig bond retrospective pretty much since the show started you're totally right but yeah i'm i'm definitely excited to get into this finale with you in a little bit but first how about we jump into the news first up we had the trailer for the game of thrones prequel series house of the dragon uh, it's set 200 years before the events of the mainline Game of Thrones series and will follow House Targaryen's rise and fall in power uh, and Westeros. And I'm pretty excited, Seamus. I think it looks like a really good series. I love so much of Game of Thrones, and this looks like it is taking a lot of that iconography and recontextualizing it into a different era. I understand, you know, George R. R. Martin in the books has such a clear vision and depth of knowledge about the history of these people, these families, and this world that I'm excited to see how it can, like, blossom without writers that aren't rushing to get a Star Wars trilogy made. Yeah, man, I, I watched this trailer this morning and... As somebody who hasn't been as far down the Game of Thrones rabbit hole as you have, uh, I've only got to the middle of season three. I, I still really appreciate everything that it does so well in that show. And seeing this trailer from the little I know about the Targaryen stuff, I might honestly go and start this like when it comes out. Would you would you suggest like I go and finish the original series or could do you think I could just jump into a prequel like this since it is so far before all of the all of the mainline stuff? I kind of think both because mm. I think you're going to be able to just watch this series as its own series, but I also certainly think there will be foreshadowing about the power dynamics between the houses and maybe mm. the future of House Targaryen going into this series. I haven't watched it, obviously, so I can't make a firm judgment call, but I would recommend at least revisiting probably Game of Thrones. I might have to, just because I, I don't know, man. It, I was watching this trailer. It gave me chills. It was very intense-seeming, and I know there's, like you said, this history that George R.R. R. Martin decided to kind of, like, even in writing the books, took a step away from writing the final entry of The Song of Ice and Fire, I think, to write this, like, detailed and uh, all-canonical form of fantasy history for his world. So it's it's going to be, like you said, very interesting to see what they can do when they're maybe not trying to race against the clock or, you know, I don't know how much of this is based directly on... George R. R. Martin books because I know the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones were kind of beyond what he had written but a little more freedom 
and a, a little uh, opportunity to kind of start over when a lot of people were disappointed with how Game of Thrones ended. I think that's going to be a, kind of a reignition of a lot of this Game of Thrones hype that I guess we've been, I mean, I've been seeing it for 10 years or however long Game of Thrones has been going for, so maybe I'll have to jump back on it. I could not have said that better myself, Seamus. You took the wor- the like thoughts that were floating <laughs> around in my brain and you made them concrete. That was oh, so thank you. good. Yeah, it's interesting. I said this to you when I was watching the trailer to see Game of Thrones nostalgia at play. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. It's kind of like when you're watching Fantastic Beasts, you're like, oh, Harry Potter nostalgia. Because you and I are finally getting to the age of things that were new that we remember very vividly being new and seem recent to us are, like, on a nostalgia cycle, and we're like, oh, no. <laughs> we're caught in it. It's, this is it forever, man. But yeah, I'm excited about this. Maybe we'll do a weekly recap, depending on how we're feeling. Yeah, I, and, you know, I might go back and start. I know for a fact that the first few seasons of Game of Thrones are awesome, and I know that I haven't reached the, like, zenith of how insane that show gets, even from where I, I stopped the last time I gave it a shot, so I, I know there's a lot to look forward to anyway. I would say through season five, it is very, very good, and... How many I seasons think, did they uh, get all together? I think it's eight, there are... Now I'm gonna be embarrassed if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly <laughs> certain there's eight seasons. That sounds right. And the I last think. two I remember being unimpressed with, and I think... Let me check. Yeah, eight seasons, I'm correct. The last two I didn't like. The sixth one is kind of hit and miss, but I think that the season finale of season six is maybe the best episode of that show, period. Oh, so, nice, okay. Yeah, pretty pretty rough roller coaster there at the end, because I also think the last season has some of the best episodes of that show. It just also has some of the worst ones. Oh. The dichotomy. Well, I mean, at least it's something to look forward to, good or bad. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially if they're going to start, you know, folding some of that stuff into what this Targaryen show is going to be eventually, if they do run it for as long as, you know, what Game of Thrones ended up being. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how long this goes, because HBO made it pretty clear back in the day that they would let Game of Thrones run as long as they could, because it was just printing the money. But how good would a limited series be where they kind of have everything that they want to do already in mind and they can kind of put together a full piece? That would be nice. You know, in, in this era of media excess, Seamus, the more and more I appreciate a short, simple yeah. story oh. that just gets in and gets out. If only. The, oh, no, I mean, I would love for that to be the case with this, but we already know, like you said, it's going to make so much money they're never going to stop making it until people hate it. Or it'll make no money because people don't care about Game of Thrones anymore, but... Uh, we'll see. In but other news... The last Smash Brothers Ultimate Fighter has been announced, and it is Sora from the Kingdom Hearts series. Seamus, you're a man that knows about Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, man. This was... I, I know that K- Kingdom Hearts fans have been clamoring for this for I like as long as this Smash Brothers has been adding in characters... And it was a pretty big deal when it when it happened the other day. And honestly, I think it's pretty cool. It fits in the way that Kingdom Hearts as a series has always been about, like, jumping between super disconnected worlds and meeting characters that are from universes that have nothing to do with each other. And that's just, like, fully on brand with just mashing up every video game character that Nintendo can get their hands on. 
Uh, I think he, he looks good in the in that trailer. You know, there's a lot of like Final Fantasy crossover stuff there from the Kingdom Hearts series itself, which I'm sure people are gonna you know have a ball with. Thinking about maybe the next mainline series of Kingdom Hearts, I wouldn't even entirely be surprised if they like made this weird Smash Brothers thing somehow canon. You know. Like they could oh, just like add Smash in Brothers uh, characters in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, like they, if if Disney and Square Enix would legally like get whatever that needs to be done signed, I'm sure there would be a billion dollars made if Sora like ran into Pikachu and Link at some point. You know, there's already a fighting tournament thing that they do with the Hercules world in most of the games. So I mean, it wouldn't even be entirely unheard of if there was some kind of like tournament element even if it wasn't just like a nintendo world in general i do worry about you know nintendo and disney getting too buddy buddy just because i don't want disney to have more market share of stuff that they already you know yeah that's true that is very true i could have said that more articulately and i think i'll think on this a little <laughs> bit longer and then come back to it another time okay on the show of course of course of course but, yeah i worry about Disney kind of inching its way back into the video game market with a company as big as Nintendo. And I mean, you know, they've been, they marketed the latest Kingdom Hearts pretty big on, because they, uh, what was it called? Melody of Memory was the last one. It was a spin-off rhythm game, and it was the first Nintendo Switch installment of Kingdom Hearts, I believe. So they were already kind of dipping their toes into the Nintendo waters a little bit, so I don't know if that was already in place when they were working on Sora for Smash, and they thought it was just smart, or if there's going to be more stuff like that in the future. Kingdom Hearts seems like it belongs on Switch. Yeah, totally. It's very bubbly. It's very cartoony. It's like if if uh, Final Fantasy was like softer, you know? Isn't that li- isn't it literally a Final Fantasy game technically? Well, there's Final Fantasy worlds and characters, but it's like its own thing, I guess. I don't know. It's I guess it kind of is. There's so much crossover between worlds and like the production team behind them. Like Tetsuya Nomura directs a lot of Final Fantasy games and Kingdom Hearts games, so you can only do so many fantasy games where like darkness as a concept is the bad guy, you know? It's it's gonna start feeling similar. I can imagine. I, I wanna play Kingdom Hearts. Well, this has gone off the rails. We are so <laughs> far from where we started. But no, I, I do like the Kingdom Hearts talk though, man. I've got, like, you can I think with a PS5 now, you can do all of them. You can play, yeah, there's the all-in-one pack, which goes on sale for like 30 bucks every couple months. And like, I'm that's like, pretty someday when good. I have a million hours. Yeah, when you have so much damn time to spare. It is, it's it's not a short thing, especially because, like, three of the games in that pack are, like, two-and-a-half-hour cutscene movies, too. Like, they're yeah. not, they're not, it's not a casual play. It's shameless. If I don't have time to game, I certainly don't have time to die. What a oh, what a transition. Let's get into it. Let's move on to our main segment. This week's main segment is the finale of the Daniel Craig 007 franchise. This is No Time to Die. Seamus, hit me. Hit me. You, you've been sitting on it for like 48 hours almost. How are we feeling about No Time to Die? We were saying it before. I want to see it again, I think. I 
think that the parts that I enjoyed about it were very enjoyable and that a lot of what I didn't like about it seemed to have carried over from what I didn't like of Spectre in a lot of ways, that they were trying to maybe just, you know, kind of land the plane on that runway when they could have literally just abandoned it and I wouldn't have really minded too much, you know? I, I guess I would say... I would put this in a solid third place, maybe tied for second with Skyfall, but I would, Ooh, you know, I think you know, this movie's a lot worse than Skyfall. I'm going to say third place, it, just because it is, I would watch it over Quantum or Spectre for sure, but I would do Casino or Skyfall any day before that, you know? I think the highs of this are certainly higher than the Quantum highs, which is why I give it the edge, even though they're probably the lows are lower than the sure, Quantum lows. Sure. Yeah, I would agree that this is a is a solid third place in my Bond rankings. I think it's a pretty far margin before you get up to second place with Skyfall. There were definitely moments in this movie, during the best parts of this movie, which we'll talk about, where I was like, oh, they took Spectre and they made it good. They made this movie good. Mm. And I was jazzed. And our audience was jazzed. We saw it, you know, at the Oriental with <laughs> yeah. a, a crowd of people on opening night. All of us had our vaccines. We showed our little cards. It was great. Oh, yeah. And they were a good crowd. They were whooping and hollering. And, you know, oh, yeah. it's fun. It feels so good. I want to talk about this more in spoilers, but it's so fun to see a movie. I know, obviously, James Bond's like the longest running franchise in history. But it's nice to see a movie where it a lot of the things that people were cheering for weren't rooted in like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, Captain America got his shield back. <laughs> it's, it's just cool stuff that the audience is reacting to. I really enjoyed that energy of like, oh, Bond does a cool motorcycle trick. Let's cheer for that. Yeah, you know, I liked uh, what a moment that, that was. Yeah, and maybe that does add a little bit to my opinion about this movie is that the energy in the room was so much it is it adds so much when you're like in everyone knew what we were there to see, you know. We knew this was the last Daniel Craig. We knew that this was like the end of this era specifically and you know, everyone was there to just have a great time and those those cheers, those big reactions were were so so lovely to feel again. Totally. Yeah, I'm glad that we had that had that experience together. But talking about the actual film, the parts of it that fell down for me during the immediately after the movie, I think I've had enough time to sit on and better articulate, and I think you feel like you have as well, which I'm excited to hear. Uh, there were parts of it I really, really liked. I think Ana de Armas is the standout of this oh, movie. Oh, God. She's incredible. Such a good sequence that I for sure thought was going the complete opposite direction that it was going in. Oh, it was so it's good. It's so good. It's such it's so well executed yeah. in that way that it's it knows exactly because it's not only telling you that with like no, we'll talk about this. We'll actually talk yeah, about this. Oh, we're go- we'll we're talk about it. Getting um, ahead of ourselves. Uh it was directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who I believe I'm saying that correctly, but he also did Beasts of No Nation and the first season of True Detective, both both things that I really, really enjoy. Um obviously dark, sad yeah <laughs> seriously things. i don't mean to say it and then in like oh it's so fun and light i think he also wrote uh it i don't oh, know really? if he wrote it chapter two or not but you know like he he's he's no stranger to dark stuff and so yeah that and i, I think the dark stuff in this movie was handled mostly well i think so too definitely but yeah it for for uh craig Daniel Craig Bond movie in a franchise like this known for some of the darker sides of this James Bond stuff. Very, very well handled. I want to talk a little bit about how clearly it was inspired by 
certain other films, some of which I can't get into until spoilers, but it did feel like they went a little bit back to the Bourne roots for this one. There were sequences where it was like pared down Bond, where it felt more like, okay, he's just a guy with a particular set of skills. How is Mm -hmm. he going to get out of this situation? And then also uh, John Wick, which I think that fingerprints are all over this film, especially there are a couple of long take one -er sequences where Bond is just killing every single person he sees with two shots to the head. Yeah, just really close quarters, tight headshots with a pistol that he just like keeps picking up a new pistol every time he finds one. I'm trying to think of what we can talk about um vaguely i guess the villain didn't work for me again everything we're gonna say (laughs) is just gonna be qualified with we'll talk about that more in spoilers i didn't like the villain i didn't like the the central story that bond was going through i thought his characterization felt different in this film which there is a time jump in this film so it it can kind of hedge that a little bit sure sure the action for the most part was very good I think Craig was clearly had time. I know there's a lot of talk about him hating these movies or whatever, but he seemed to be having fun. Sure, yeah, I th- I think so. I think knowing that this was his last hurrah here, I think it definitely meant a lot to him. And like you said, he's have he's definitely doing he's putting his all into it. He's having fun out there. I liked the opening title sequence, Billie Eilish's No Time to oh, Die. Oh, yeah, that was course. great. Again, kind of sprinkling in a lot of classic E-Bond elements. It felt a little more like, so with so many of the like silhouettes and a lot of the card imagery that I was seeing in there, it did feel a little casino-y. Well, I was going to say, I think it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting combination of a lot of the iconography from the last four films. Well, yeah, because I guess there's like have... the desert sand, there's from like... The quantum got, stuff. Yeah, you've got the, the the crumbling statue, which is also in quantum. Oh yeah, or those big, cl- or is that Spectre? Wait, hold on. No, wait, that's Spec. No, Spectre had the octopus. Yeah, I think it's quantum with the crumbling statues, the big crumbling statues. Right, right. And then you have yeah the card imagery and silhouette imagery, like you said, from Casino Royale. There are these, like, little burning ember things, kind of, like, from Skyfall, and then, I don't know if there was actually any Spectre imagery, but I don't know the Spectre... Yeah, that one's a little less memorable, to be honest. I'm sure it's there if you look for it. Sure, sure. But, you know, I thought, overall, it was very good. I still like that song a lot. I know we listened to it ages ago when it first came out, but, you know, definitely... Again, like top of the one of the top of the Bond openings, at least for this era. Certainly, yeah, I think the the opening sequence, or not the opening, the the opening title sequence is really really solid, and that song goes even harder with the oh yeah that it does regularly, and I think Hell that's a really yeah. good song for sure for sure. But I I'm 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 chomping at the bit here, Garrett. Do you wanna do you wanna just dive into it, man? We we need to. I think we literally There's, cannot talk exactly. about it without talking spoilers. So what? Yeah, let's do it. Spoiler threshold here. I do like I, the. I almost want to just get into the vi- like Rami Malek. Like I. Oh, you don't want to talk about the fact that James Bond dies in this movie. You don't. Oh that's yeah, not the first thing you want to talk I, about. I for just jumping right there. Sure, they eviscerate James Bond with a missile on screen. You see his They're silhouette like, like no burn way like an atom bomb. He is alive. 
Yeah. And granted, I think we both were more than prepared for that going in. I think we both kind of saw it coming. Maybe not in the way that it happened in the end. And I, like I was kind of telling you the other day, I was kind of thought that there was going to be a Sherlock thing where he was just like in the background at some point. But uh, you then, again, very aptly compared it to The Dark Knight Rises and how that would have been probably impossible to pull off. Uh, But I'm glad they, in the end, it's, you know, they gave him some rest. This was the most tortured bond that I can think of. So in the end, he like did everything he needed to. He saved his family. That's another big thing that maybe we might as well drop right here. He has a a French daughter. That's the thing. There's so many interesting ideas in this film that I don't think are realized to their full potential. I think the idea of Bond dying is good. And the idea of him dying, honestly, the way he dies, the fact that they put him in this situation where he's not just dying to save the world because he already saved the he's already saved the world yeah he's dying to save like people he cares about and for this bond that makes a lot of sense that trajectory works i just don't think it's told in the most compelling way mostly because i do not care about (laughs) his relationship with madeline swan they just don't have any chemistry still in this movie yeah i uh, honestly in the intro uh where they're visiting vesper's grave i was like okay, there's a little more something here, and then they drop her for an act and a half until she shows up again, and then it goes right back to just like, sure, it makes sense that they're cold and estranged, but that doesn't help us as the viewers, like, give a damn about them together if it's just gonna be like this again, you know? Yeah, I wish that they had chemistry. I think it's, I don't think it's either of their faults. I think they're both doing a fine acting job. I just don't think, I mean, the writing could be better, of course, but I just don't think Daniel Craig and Leah Sadu have enough chemistry to make this story work. The story that they've been telling over the course of these two movies. Yeah. Like, between Spectre and No Time to Die, when they when Bond says, I love you to her, I, like, don't even believe it. Like, that's the point where I'm like, that doesn't I don't even believe it. feel even... remotely realistic in any of the situation that we've seen them in so far. James Bond's last words ever, yeah. um, I love you as the parade of missiles rains down on him. Yeah. Yeah, he could have gone out on such a dope one-liner. He's good at those, damn it. Well, I don't need that. I don't need anything to... Not like that over the top, but something more than like a... Like, I don't want to, like, roll my eyes when James Bond is about to die, you know? That's like an important moment that's never happened before. James Bond's never died before. Obviously, this is going to be a big cultural moment. We're still in the spoiler-free zone. I want to know how long it's going to be before it's common knowledge that James Bond is dead. Mm. Like, I'm assuming my parents don't know yet. It's, as of right now, it's the Saturday after this movie came out. And I'm really curious to see how pop culture is going to react. Because I think, you know, uh, your girlfriend, Kara, went with us. And she's like, I didn't realize this many people cared about James Bond. Yeah. Because even though James Bond is this huge cultural presence, I don't think that a lot of people have the same affinity or investment in the Bond franchises they do with uh, other mega franchises like uh, like a Star Wars or a Marvel. Because up until the, the Craigs, they hadn't been telling these interconnected episodic stories. Right, right. It's... it's... 
It's very interesting. I'm I'm too wondering like how long did it take for something like Infinity War for those spoilers to start leaking out because that was pretty fast, I would say. And I know that it's not necessarily like an apt comparison between something like those two, but I mean like they're still both pretty very large events in terms of even if you aren't even like even if you haven't even seen the last two Daniel Craig James Bond movies, you're like you at least have the zeitgeist knowledge to like feel affected by it. Yeah, but I think actually this movie relies so heavily on um Spectre, which is uh, which is both expected and unexpected, I guess. Yeah, I because... guess I guess I meant more like just the death itself. The movie, I feel like if you went in having only seen like Casino and uh, like Quantum of Solace or something, you would be pretty pretty damn lost and not having a good time. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Speaking of, you and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday with Bond and our boy Felix, who we were so oh, hoping would come man. back, but not like this, Seamus. <laughs> not, not like, like this. this. <laughs> oh. um, so sad. Um, I think everybody from Casino Royale is dead now. Bond, Jesper, yeah. M, Felix, Lashif, Mr. White, uh, uh, all the women in that movie yeah, yeah. that aren't Vesper. Uh, Mathis. God, absolutely heartbreaking. That is like the and that there's like the new era of like we got Money Penny and Q and there's I mean we didn't even mention new 007 yet who is a you know kind of great for a little bit and then kind of not great towards the end. So yeah, it it's not. It's a very interesting premise that they bring in Lashana Lynch as I think the character's name is Nomi. I don't know oh, if they actually yeah? say it on screen, but I looked it up. And she's the new 007. They do a really, really good job introducing her and giving her this interesting at-odds relationship with Bond. And then they're friends, and then she disappears from the movie the second act. Like, yeah. And then they just the one of the most frustrating things of that entire movie to me is, like, right as they're going to the island to confront Remy Malik in the climax of everything she asks M to reinstate Bond as 007 I yeah, thought I that was that. so like we were like I was like all right yeah we're we're moving forward so much of these last few movies have been about like what happens when your best asset is like aging out of his position and like we have to have new blood in the mix to like make it what it needs to be for modern times, and they do that, and then they immediately backpedal. Like, there's going to be anything after this movie that that is going to affect. Well, that's the thing. Spectre's not about that at all. That's part of the problem. Is Skyfall's about that, and the Spectre, he's doing flips and rolls. No, yeah, I guess that's true. That's about a stupid, half-fake German-Austrian brother. Yes. (laughs) Which, speaking of, speaking of Bond, um... And the aging thing. Something I noticed is, so throughout Skyfall, we didn't actually talk about this during the podcast, they've got this imagery of Bond as an old warship, right? Mm. That the first time he meets Q in the National Gallery, he's looking at this JMW Turner painting of this old warship being hauled in to get scrapped. Right, right. And Q's kind of cute about it. And then later at the end of the film, when Bond is back and he's ready to be to be double uh, O again, and all that stuff, in the new M, Mallory's, Rafe finds his office, there is a painting of a warship in, like, full bloom. It's, like, right, ready to yeah. go. That's the last shot of that movie. Is 007 says, like, good to be back, or something like that, and you see the shot right, uh, of yeah. the ship 
and so that the imagery there is is obvious, right? That's a pretty transparent. Yeah, they're they're metaphor. not not trying to hide behind that too much. Then in this movie, where that painting is in M's office is now a modern piece of art, and the warship painting is on M's mantle behind his desk. I didn't even notice that. My God. So I thought that was a very interesting little... Yeah, that's really cool. Because it's like now 007's been replaced by this new thing, but also M is still harboring a little bit of a... Yeah. You he's... know, affinity. Oh, man. There, there, that was a pretty... I also, speaking of, like, holding that affinity, that, like, last Cheers scene after they killed him, was I, I thought that was actually pretty nice, where they're all sharing a scotch together and... I liked that. I thought um, it was weird that after how much of Spectre is devoted, and also Skyfall is devoted to building up this imagery of the names on the wall of the fallen MI6 agents. Right, yeah. We don't see Bond's name on the wall. Yeah, I actually, I had that thought while we were watching it the other day, too. I was like, oh, they're going to do, they're going to they're gonna show the whole thing. Maybe, and like, in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe that'll tee up something for the future of the... F- you know, James Bond or the future of that new 007 or something, you know, I thought anything like that, but yeah, they just kind of, they gloss over that idea entirely and just do like a symbolic friends cheers. Well, because the stupid thing that they do instead of showing his name on the wall is having Swan, Madeline, tell their daughter about, um, oh yeah, I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Bond. James Bond. There is no story about the Daniel Craig James Bond that is appropriate to tell a five-year-old. Absolutely not. Not not a chance. Um, I'm going to tell you about the time your estranged father got his eardrums blown out at the grave of his former lover in Greece. Like, no. No, we're not doing that. (laughs) That was in Italy. Oh, damn it. I'm pretty sure. Oh, was it? You said... uh, Wasn't it? I thought they were in Italy at the beginning of that movie. And I hear the word necropolis, and I'm like, yep, that's the Mediterranean. But yeah, they're in vague Europe, and, you know, I don't know. That, I think you were talking, too, about, like, that tunnel shot at the end with the car, and how that was, like, I don't know, maybe not the best way to go out, like, the last image. I like that. I I like that okay, because it's the inverse of the gun barrel, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I don't mind that shot conceptually. I think that's a cute, because it opens with the gun barrel sequence, of course, Uh and it fades to white instead of fading to, or instead of going to red, which one indicates maybe that Bond dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. blood come down. Sure. Like, that's almost immediately. And then in addition to that, it's literally going to the Whites, right? Like, they fade to oh, yeah, Mr. That's White's right. family. Which I, I was quite compelled with all that weird, creepy mask stuff until it didn't matter, ever. No, the... It, 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 they didn't know... <laughs> what to do with their villain. They didn't know what to do with their romantic lead. Rami Malek is boring. How old is he supposed to be at first? That's what I'm saying. Unaging man. But I guess he just looks really good for being in like his fifties, which is how old he must be because he looks like a fully grown man in that opening sequence, but we don't see his face. Also, is he supernatural or was he just wearing a bulletproof vest because she shoots him a million times? I that has to be a bulletproof vest, I imagine. But like yeah, it's so much again, like I was saying before, this is my like comparison to Spectre. Like you said, they have a great idea for a villain that they either don't know what to do with or just were like 
two hours and 45 minutes, we have no time to do fun stuff with this villain. Get out of here. And just, like, b- barely even put him in it. I was like, oh, cool. Crazy, psycho Bond villain. Give it to me. And then it was just nothing. It was nothing. Yeah, I'm not compelled by his plot. I wonder how much of it was edited out because of COVID, because there's oh, so yeah. much there's a virus lot. imagery. And granted, so I, I love he... that idea. Like, when they're in the his base where they're doing the weird hazmat suit acid pool virus stuff, I was like, oh, cool. Like, at least this looks fun and there's going to be acid things happening, which there, you know, there are acid things that do happen, but it just falls so flat. It's just not engaging. His name is also like Lucifer Satan, so that's oh, is it? Um, <laughs> I I didn't like even Lucerovich care to remember Safin or something. Oh, awesome, it's, love it. I'm like, okay, movie, maybe not, but am I? Did I'll, you also? Did you think they were setting up for like an organization when she was like, "I'll write my secret on this paper," and it was like something about a mask in French. And I was like, "Oh, there's a mask organization run by Rami Malek that's gonna come it, get us." It was. It was Loom Mask, which is the masked man, and she's burning her secret well, during uh, the yeah, burning secret ceremony. So it's like the thing she's trying to let go of from the past, just like how Bond writes Forgive Me at Vesper's right. Grave. I mean, yeah, I guess I was just grasping at straws by the end of that movie. Like, I liked the mask. The mask was creepy. I was ready for But it doesn't fun, mean anything. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's useless in the story. Even in the big reveal where he, like, gives her the box in the therapist's which is cool. office. That seems cool. I like that a lot, but then no more mask after that. Literally, you don't hear or see that mask again, ever. And what's the yeah? What's the point of the mask? Because isn't he there to kill Mr. White and, and let him know who he is anyway? So why is he wearing it in the opening sequence? Because it looks cool, is the answer. I guess, yeah. Because I... they didn't have Rami Malek for that day of shooting, and they put a different <laughs> guy in chin makeup for when he got his mask blown off. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for really any of that. And let's talk about the best sequence of the movie, which is the Ana de Armas Cuba sequence. So kick-ass. She steals every scene. Our audience was in love with her immediately. <laughs> yeah. They responded so well to her. Um, we They were cheering and whooping. It was great. And again... I was talking about this earlier during the non-spoiler section that they weren't excited to see her because, oh, it's the character from the last movie or something like that. They're excited to see her because that movie and that actor made the character charismatic and exciting Mm -hmm. and fun and gave her little twists and turns because, like you were alluding to, she has this little, like, oh, it's my first mission, ha ha ha. I've I've been training for three weeks. She's nervous and jittery, and then she's amazing when she gets into combat. Oh man, it's there's like that weird combination of like ditzy capable that reminds me of um uh is it Kaylee in Firefly? That's that kind of vibe of yeah, just like so like exactly. so likable and approachable, but like one hundred percent can take care of business. Yeah, I can see that definitely. I mean Kaylee isn't like great at combat, but she has No, but like her this, like, like mechanical under pressure. Yeah, exactly. And this uh, Grace Under Pressure is so fun, watching them in tandem, you know, shooting people at the same time in different directions, getting each other's back, her running the car into the wooden structure to get the Russian guy. Yeah, it was great. And then she takes her bow, and she leaves, and she's gone. And I think that's great. It's it's leave the audience wanting more, which in today's day and age never happens. It's almost impressive that they didn't have her, like come on the mission to the island at the end you know with the new 007 and all but i'm, and you know, I'm, I'm glad, glad they didn't though me too i'm, I'm really glad 
that the reason that that is the best sequence in the movie is that it doesn't overstay its welcome and it does what we're all happy to see get done and like you said they kind of have that little winky at uh winky face at the end of like i wish you could stay longer and like i do kind of wish she did but i understand why she had to not that was the moment in this movie where I was like, I really like this movie. And then it kind of, that was the apex <laughs> and it started going. Uh, yeah. Then they killed Felix and I was like, no movie, I can't, I can't forgive it. <laughs> well, I mean, we, they kill Felix before that, before that great sequence. They kill all of Spectre at once in one blow of gas as well, I guess we should mention. Which I, I don't know how to feel about because on the one hand, I think it's a really effective way to be like, look at this guy means business, but the villain is paid off in a way that's compelling, so it's like they just got rid of the thing that we've been setting up Yeah, quote-unquote, the last four movies, even though it was really only the last well, movie. Like, yeah. And the way that the Russian scientist guy who did that was like, he was like flying by the seat of his pants. It didn't really seem like they're... Like, yeah, Mr. White killed Rami Malek's parents, and Mr. White was working for Spectre, but just the way that everything was so almost slapdash like that scientist guy just happened to be able to pull this weird trick off last second and it doesn't feel like a plan years in the making yeah it doesn't or a plan that even holds enough weight to execute every evil genius in the room at once you know um Rami Malik doesn't seem like an evil genius to me no and then there's the Bond uh, Blofeld interrogation sequence where they kill Blofeld which again just feels like this empty gesture of it's carrying over the fact that Blofeld doesn't have any weight in Spectre, and they're trying to give him weight in this movie and have his death mean something, but I don't care because I didn't care about him in the last movie. Yeah, exactly. And also, one thing I didn't appreciate is, like, all the buildup of, like, she's the only one Blofeld will talk to, she's the only one Blofeld will talk to, and then they we get there, and we have zero time for Blofeld to, like, do whatever his Blofeld thing is with her before he gets, like, that ten minutes of screen time and gets killed with the... Really? <laughs> I... I You might have actually heard me laugh at the theater when he said, Die, brother! And he, like, goes yeah. in really hard. And... No, I... I yeah, you and I were kind of looking at each other during <laughs> yeah. that scene. Oh, so weird. And, yeah, what a bungle. That long chair thing that they did with him and the... Is it supposed to be funny? Because it's funny. I, it's a it's little funny, funny, right? It's almost like they're trying to do the slow walk from Skyfall, but it's he's just like in a little box, so it does not intimidate at all. it's not like all. he's monologuing or anything. It's just a That's it's true. Just build up. Yeah, they're like tr- showing, um, what's her name, freak out, like trying to get out. And it's, yeah, not worth it. Not worth Bond the intensity. And grabs her wrist, which has the nanobots on it. Yeah, yeah, the damn nanobots. Did you, did you notice the fact that they're, um... That this is the plot of Agent Cody Banks. Oh, um, is it? <laughs> um, nanobot disease. Yeah, nanobot. Like the there's in Agent Cody Banks, it's ice cubes full of nanobots that they put. Your, ah. They put the ice cube in your drink, and then you drink the drink, and the nanobots eat you from the inside out. That's dark as hell. That's Cody Banks. That's a kids movie. Yeah, I was gonna say. Little, I think Hilary Duff kills her own dad at the what? end. What? Are you yeah. kidding me? Holy crap! I gotta watch that movie again. But yeah, this is, uh, like Cody Banks, it is also the plot of Metal Gear Solid, just like nanobot disease controlled by specific genetic code. It's a uh, tale as old as time, and they just 
slap it on Blofeld's neck and kill him yep. pretty unceremonially. Also, did you also think that Bond's characterization in that scene felt way wrong? I know there's a five-year time jump in this movie, but he didn't feel like Bond at all. It felt like he was doing Benoit Blanc. He was doing this little, like, <laughs> well, yeah. if you do this, then uh <laughs> And, like, there is that little thing at the end uh, with Tanner where he's like, I know how to interrogate people. It's fine. Like, I'm doing an act to get information, but... You're not wrong when it's like, he should be doing a little bit more of a maybe bad cop. He's kind of going a little casual with it for whatever reason until he, like, goes in for that that choke move. But even that felt weird. Yeah. I just didn't, like, that's where that movie really turned for me, I think. is after Blofeld dies, it doesn't really pick back up. Because I also do like a lot of what, like, the way Blofeld was written and was kind of carrying his character in this one more than Spectre, even though they do this, the literally the exact same uh, bit where it's like, Blofeld knew James was in the crowd of bad guys all along, and he's going to turn right to him and say, James Bond, or whatever, you know? With the freaky little eye thing, which I will say, this movie succeeds where Spectre failed in creating a iconic henchman that I actually liked and was invested in. Cyclops, With the eye guy. Yeah. yeah, Cyclops. I like that guy too. I, I, I was hoping for a little more gadgetry from the eye, but I, I like how it was then paid off with the spy watch magnet, like exploding his brain from the inside out. It's I, so cool. Yeah, that was very Bond. I very much liked that. It, it blew his mind. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a fun. Yeah, that was a good quip on his. I think on the way to him dying, he does that. <laughs> he does that. No, quick. he's he says it in the um. He says it to Q. Yeah, I know. Like that that fight that he oh, has on the with way to Bond dying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He a... does. He right before he climbs the ladder. That's See, the last thing. He there does. it is. That's there's my quip that I needed before he died. It was just a little sooner. Um, I I already asked this question. D- does this feel like a Bond movie to you? It's a that's a good question too because like. You were kind. I think you said it before. It does have that. It's got that born e feeling. He's still kind of not rogue, but he's being like half reinstated for a mission for an organization he doesn't work with. Half the time working for the CIA against the MI6. You know, it's very. Uh, I don't know. It do- it has a lot of that quantumy DNA. I feel like where he doesn't have the full support of everyone the whole time. He does kind of have to struggle to get his airstrike at the end or his uh, plane out of Cuba or stuff like that. But it doesn't even feel like Bond struggling against it. It just, the tone itself, I think, is off. Quantum at least tonally feels like a Bond film. Yeah, sure, sure. This feels like a, there's a new, there's a new, like, modern tone thing which is the finale. Yeah. There's the tone of the last movie, and it doesn't... It, it, it veers away from the tone of the other f- installments of the franchise, and it becomes this, like, we have to pay everything off, and it's so serious, and and there's a, it's it's different, and it's the last job. And yeah. That's how the last Harry Potter movie feels. It's how The Dark Knight Rises feels. It's how... um What's the other one? There's another one I had just now. Rise of Skywalker, kind of. They're just Rise throwing of everything at the wall. That's exactly what I was sure. going to say. Yeah, yeah. 
I think it feels very in line with those three examples tonally, much more than it does in line with Spectre or or Quantum or Skyfall or we're so far from Casino Royale. Yeah, oh my point. god. What imagine watching like I would almost do a marathon of these in a row. That would be like the weirdest roller coaster of of movie watching because it would start at such a high and just devolve into weird peaks and valleys. I will say I liked the imagery of lighter floating away in the water like Vesper floating away in the water. Oh that yeah, felt for sure. Very intentional to me. God, yeah. What a that was a hard scene to watch that handsome guy from Game Night shoot Felix in the gut. That was <laughs> Is he that's, so that's who he is, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um Billy Magnuson is the actor. I feel name. like I've seen Billy Magnuson do that also the exact same role he played in this one where he's like unassuming, smiling blonde guy, and then he turns into like the bad guy on a on a yeah. dime. Um he when he dies Bond flips the car on him like we were talking about the other <laughs> yeah. day. That's exactly what I thought about, too. You were like, any other Bond would have just let him go. But but I have to eat crow about that, actually, a little bit. because not, Or not eat crow. I don't know if that's the, really the right word. But um, I was wrong. I have to issue a correction. Oh? Because I said that that was a Connery film that I remembered that being in. But I looked it up, and it's a Roger Moore film. It's for oh, your eyes only. Interesting. Very weird. Well, I mean, did you like this uh, Rambo first blood sequence where it's like um, the... I did until I didn't. I did <laughs> until... So at the beginning when it was just two Jeeps and a bike chasing them and it was just Bond with nothing but a, a normal car, no yeah, gadgets. Yeah. It's just him and his family against the world. I thought that was a really cool idea. It felt like that sequence, again, in the first Bourne movie where Clive Owen comes to the farmhouse to kill them. Oh, sure. And then the F9 cavalry comes over yes! the hill. That was and <laughs> the funniest. We definitely, we both looked at each other instantly. We both had the same idea of how funny that imagery was in a movie where they're ostensibly hunting down a young, like their young child, Bond's wife, who's like trying to run. It's not a time to like do a big comical airtime ramp jump over a hill. No, I'd have much rather it just been, like, don't lose the first Jeep so quickly. Sure. And have them trap them in the woods or whatever, and then still do the Rambo first blood stuff. But it it was too much. It was too over the yeah. top. I loved Bond doing the winch to get the bike. Oh, gotta love that Endor stuff, right? I mean, just, like, totally breaking <laughs> that guy's neck. That was really cool. It's not that I didn't like the sequence. It's that I didn't like the way the sequence escalated. That's completely fair, I'd say. Though I, I did like uh, Magnuson getting crushed by the car. Just No, yeah, of course. That that can't be beat, for sure. Because also it feels so personal. I like, it's not just spiteful Bond, it's ruthless, like, this is for my friend, you know? Yeah, and it felt good to get a little bit of that vengeance going for old Felix. He, he deserves it. He never got to smoke that cigar. He never got to smoke his cigar. <laughs> so sad. I, I'm a brother from Langley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Felix Leiter. I'm so glad they brought him back for this movie. He's one of the better handled elements of this entire film, I'd say. Absolutely. He was so, so good. And like I said, the only thing that could have maybe elevated that further was if David Harbour also showed up to, to reprise that role. But Felix Leiter as a character, 
incredible. Almost wish he was but around But also, as longer. you and I discussed, I think David Harbour represents a different aspect of the CIA. This yeah, yeah, I know. Bad cop. It's not corrupt, necessarily. It's just that he... Well, he is corrupt. Or it is corrupt. It's not like an inside job for a different thing, though. He's just exactly. like a bad CIA dude. Because it shows that Leiter's the only good guy in the CIA. And even Leiter's not that good of a guy. You yeah, know? He, yeah, he's still doing shady espionage like James. I mean, and he's still, like, inciting coups and stuff. Oh, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, not great, not great. So, we haven't talked about Bond's daughter, and I think that their relationship is good. I just think that it suffers from the fact that I don't care about his relationship with Madeline. Yeah, I and think I wish, so, too. I wish they'd spent more time on it, to be honest. The idea of James Bond having a daughter is such a cool concept that I wish that they had fully committed and really made it about James Bond having a daughter. Just like the cool concept of there's this young uh, woman of color replacing James Bond as 007, and then they don't fully commit, and it's just something that they bring up, and then it goes away. Yeah, it's um, not... the Like, they could have had... I, I was almost waiting for, like just them together for a while you know like maybe like like maybe madeline yeah exactly madeline gets kidnapped and he's got to be with his daughter in some kind of way to i don't know bond bond with her for lack of a less punny word (laughs) uh before he has to get blown up by missiles but then there's like the whole weird thing with rami malik just letting her go i guess he didn't care about her in to begin with the audience loved that scene, though. Like, That's true. <laughs> we, we all dug it when he was just like, okay, you're no good to me anymore. Bye. Like, Yeah, she, they they definitely just told that little girl nothing besides just, like, waddle down, just, like, run that way. It, it, it was great. And she has those Daniel Craig eyes like you were talking about earlier. Oh, yes. Yeah. She's so cute. The CGI'd Daniel Craig eyes? <laughs> I want... Okay, I think we're, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here. I think so, too. And... Yeah. I I sent you my thoughts about this earlier, but I want to bring it up on the show, which is that blockbusters right now are in this post-postmodern era where, like, before, like, you look back at, like, the early 2000s and we were reinventing our heroes. That was the era of the gritty reboot, right? Sure. Batman Begins, Casino Royale, The Amazing Spider-Man, R.I.P. Um... (laughs) (laughs) And now we're in a different era. We're in an era where we're killing our heroes. Luke Skywalker, um, Tony Stark, Batman, titans in the cultural mythos that we're we're doing away with. And Bond, as we've talked about for the last several weeks, is a franchise that is beholden to the cultural whims of its time. Mm. And so, even though I don't really like the way that Bond died in this film, I think it's such an interesting thing to do, especially in the way that it reflects the cultural landscape. It's fitting that Bond dies, because we live in a time where we kill our cultural heroes. I honestly don't think there was any other way that this could have ended besides uh, an honorable and self-sacrificing death for this James Bond. It's kind of... Since the very beginning, it's felt like that's where this has been leading, for me at least. And you're not wrong when you say that, like, we just, we live in a time where this is the finale for this franchise, so this is going to be the finale for this character's life. It's very obvious in a lot of ways, but I don't disagree with you that it's maybe not my favorite way he could have gone out, but it makes complete sense that he did have to go out in the end. 
again, it's not this. It's not necessarily me saying that it's like the best way. It's the saying that it's the most fitting for the trajectory it's, of this franchise. It's the way that it makes sense after everything that we've kind of gone back and reflected on, and now here we are. God, so many years down the line of this franchise. I feel like they used to make Bonds more frequently. Why did oh they some definitely of them did. have I think like this a is the thousand... second longest? I think this is the second longest spacing between Bond films. Yeah, my God, 2015 to 2021, absolutely wild. But yeah, I I, I definitely hear what you're saying about about all that for the for this. And were you? I we stayed back on the credits at the very end, and we got our patented. James Bond will return at the very, very end, which I, you know, it made my, it made me smile for sure. I was happy to see that they're, I mean, whether or not they already have anything concrete for what this franchise is gonna become in the future, it was, you know, that bittersweet finale for this version of the character itself, but knowing that, you know, we'll definitely, if they can learn from the mistakes of what we can all see in this franchise, we'll, we'll come back swinging whenever they do. Well, I hope the next Bond isn't connected the same way that these have been, even though I think it was a very interesting experiment for the Bond franchise. Oh, yeah. I mean... You want him to go back to the episodic single adventures at a time? Yeah, and I'm not saying you can't have returning characters or anything like that, but I lo- or even continue to develop Bond as a character, but I don't think they need to be so, like, Vespers haunting him sure, for yeah. five movies. I loved staying for the end of those credits with you and i loved the audience's reaction like maybe yeah. a third of the audience stayed to see if they would do it or not and you and i were like are they gonna say james bond will return are they gonna say 007 will return are they not gonna say anything at all and they give you that little they give you the yeah at the uh, end classic it was so good i've got goosebumps thinking about it <laughs> yeah i think it was great i loved that so yeah, I I I think personally I was doing some thinking on this specifically. I think it's either going to have to be a woman or a not white British man to be the next James Bond or it's going to be set in like the 50s. Like it's going to go back to that oh, pre-internet that so cool. pre super high-tech gadgets. I would be very much into that kind of like classic era Bond that they would like i mean it would go back to being way more campy i would imagine but it would be a blast well i i wonder if they you and i talked about this show a long time ago way before we did the bond retrospective Mm. which is how cool would it be if they just did a different bond every movie oh that would be so much cooler i think just like really see the range of what you could do with that kind of character and that kind of story do Daniel Kaluuya one, do a Dev Patel one, do oh, a Helen Mirren yeah. one. Who cares, you know? Just make them all disconnected, different eras, different, you know, you know, pull classic stuff, make up new things. It would be a very interesting way to go, but now we're just kind of describing a TV show. <laughs> well, sure. Well, isn't Bond? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed doing this retrospective with you, Seamus, and I liked the insight that I've gleaned into this Craig era that I certainly did not have before. Yeah, me too. This was a this was a wild ride and I guess all things considered, I would say that I'm pretty satisfied with what we can consider our personal bond era. It's the it's the only one that we've ever grown up really getting to experience one step at a time. So I'm I'm happy to say that that is that's part of that's part of my cultural history, our cultural history. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And, it, yeah, it's a satisfying finale, even if it wasn't the best one. Yeah. And once again, my takeaway is, as I will say every week, Casino Royale really is just so good, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Huh? Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh, my God. A similar sentiment. It's better than Spectre. If it's better than Spectre, we're pretty much fine. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, the fact that I think Craig, of the ones I've seen, has genuinely the best James Bond movie and the worst James Bond movie. It's almost impressive. Yeah. It's not his fault. Spectre's not his oh, fault. Oh, no, absolutely not. Job. We already, we already sang his praises for him helping salvage what was left of Quantum of Solace 2. So I... Yeah. Much respect to Daniel Craig. I, I have been meaning... I'm going to go after this. I'm going to watch that speech he gave at the rap party. I have not... I wanted to oh, wait until good. after I saw No Time to Die. I want to rewatch it now with the context of, you know, him dying and everything else. I want to see what that's like. Yeah, yeah. That'll be definitely interesting. But I, I love Daniel Craig. He's one of my favorite working actors. I'm I'm glad that he got his Bond send-off, and I'm excited to see what he does in the future. You know, we'll get in, we're getting ben, Benoit Blanc 2 yeah. Reese Boogaloo <laughs> in a couple <laughs> years, so... Can't, absolutely can't wait. But with that, what do you say we kick it on over to our pop culture reference this week? Let's do it, Seamus. This week's pop culture reference is the Vesper Martini. The Vesper Martini first appeared in the book Casino Royale, published in 1953, and was invented by Bond author Ian Fleming. The cocktail was named by James Bond for the beauty and allure of fictional double agent Vesper Lind. The recipe for this martini is 3 ounces gin, 1 ounce vodka, a half ounce Lene Blanc Apertif, or dry bitters, and is garnished with a lemon twist. The unusual method of shaking the cocktail instead of stirring is most likely only a time-saving tactic to chill the drink faster as it usually dilutes it more and creates an opaque coloring, both of which are not necessarily ideal for most martini drinkers except for famed alcoholic James Bond. <laughs> we actually tracked down these ingredients and gave this Vesper Martini a try yesterday just to see if... It was possible to drink six on an airplane or do any kind of spy work uh, after that many drinks. And <laughs> man, I don't know if I could go kill a bunch of people after having one of those things, let alone one or two every three hours. It really knocked me on my butt, Seamus. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was feeling it for, I was flying for hours <laughs> after that after that martini. It was intense. Yeah, man, it is and granted, I kind of love it, love it now. I I only like drinks, like alcoholic drinks that I can reference movies for. That's why I order Chianti at restaurants when I can, because of Silence of the Lambs. Because <laughs> I'm a poser. You. Uh, but, uh, you know, I it was it was a hard drink for a hard-killing spy man. I will probably drink more of them the next time I see you, because I kind of started liking it more as I went, weirdly enough. I wonder why that is. Well, we've still got all the ingredients sitting cursedly looking <laughs> at me on my table in my martini shaker that I own now. Oh, man. So, I, I think, if I'm being honest, I think we need to put more ice. I think we need to shake it more. I think we need to shake the hell out of it next time. Oh, uh, Bond would be so proud. Exactly. Our friend exactly. Grace also indulged with us. <laughs> oh, yes. She said, um, she said that no wonder James Bond couldn't tell he was poisoned because it already <laughs> tastes like poison. Oh, yeah. It did not taste great, truly. We, I think we both just drank the rest of her martini, too. 
Well, all in all, I think that it's probably pretty iconic only for the connection to James Bond because it is not a super tasty cocktail. But I, like I said, I'm probably going to just keep drinking them and develop a taste for it so I can impress people when I go to bars. Oh, and you can be the idiot that orders it shaken, not stirred, and the bartender's going to be like, as you just, as <laughs> I learned on the series, uh, or on the podcast, Pop Culture Reference, they told me that it's actually worse to shake it, so you're a poser. Oh, God. I'm going to go Vesper Martini, and they're like, tell me what's in that. And I'm going to be like, ah, oh, God, that no one ever has to do that for James Bond. Well, I'm going to have to come up with a name for this. <laughs> but with that, what do you say we kick it on over to the rec center, Garrett? Let's do it, Seamus. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what's up this week? Well, I've definitely been trying to get more into the spooky mood. I kind of probably say that every week. And horror video games are a big part of my Halloween season. I'll often re-download, replay games that I know will just scare the hell out of me uh, when the sun goes down and... There's something to a good horror video game that goes beyond like what a horror movie can offer where you are in the driver's seat and you will be decapitated personally if you don't, you know, get stuff right. And uh, I just re-downloaded and have started replaying Resident Evil 3 Remake. Uh, and it is awesome. And honestly, maybe a little underrated. Uh, it got some flack because it was like half the length of Resident Evil 2 which you know makes me sad too because it is so amazing and kind of like the unsung spin-off of the series that never really got any love until it got remade uh but it's it's great it, zombies everywhere classic survival horror there's a giant nine foot tall monster with a bazooka that will just march in a straight line towards you unstopping and unkillable the whole game so you have to run from that and it's it's just great horror fun that i think especially garrett you got that ps5 it would look so fantastic on on something that could run it that well yeah i want to i want to get into the resident evils like the early ones especially i'm a i'm a scared little boy (laughs) as you know um and barely made it through the resident evil 8 demo yeah yeah (laughs) but um at the same time, I think they, they seem like a vibe I'd be really into. I'm excited about Welcome to Raccoon City coming yeah. up in a few months. And you and I will probably check that out together. However, it is, is that a Netflix thing? Is that a theater thing? I don't remember. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you were going to try to get into an entry point, they you probably remember they remade the second and third games a couple of years ago. And you yeah. don't need to know a ton of the background going in. It's just like really good, claustrophobic, gory, zombie fun so definitely give it give it a shot if you can i know they're on sale pretty often yeah i'm sure and i'm sure this month probably oh yeah totally be on sale i also have alan wake in my wish list right now oh my god um, i'm like chomping at the 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 second i get my ps5 in this door that's the what's going in i promise you but what do you got this week man well mine is video game related but it's not an actual video game this week um, I have recently discovered the YouTube channel Mini Me, which it has two M's: M I N I M M E. Oh gosh, okay. And he covers largely tie-in video games, so oh, he'll talk fun. about like the Fast and the Furious game or the Terminator game or the Simpsons games. He did a long running. He did every single Cars and Cars universe <laughs> game, so he did like the planes. Oh my game. god. 
but um, specifically, I felt like it was appropriate to recommend his channel this week because he has covered several James Bond video games. He covered oh, nice. Casino Royale, or not Casino Royale, Quantum of <laughs> Solace. Solace. Did which he we do all the think is Casino uh, Royale because that's most of the yeah. game? Did he do the Bloodstone oh. or whatever that weird Daniel Craig he spinoff did was? Do Bloodstone, which I've always wanted to play actually, it, and I, I, I watched that video good. a couple weeks ago. Dude, it, yeah, I watched that video a couple weeks ago, and I was, it's reinvigorated my interest in getting it, picking it up, and playing it. Hell yeah, man! That's not, that sounds really good. What it's Mini Me? Can you spell it again? Because <laughs> that's me. weird. So it's Mini M I N I M. M-E. So it's like the, the me has two M's. Okay, got it. Yeah, that sounds but like a lot of like fun. stuff, Seamus. Yeah, I love weird tie-in games, especially with the legacy of how bad they usually are. I think that would be a lot of fun to see somebody kind of examine those, that weird, those weird relics. So yeah, I, I'll definitely check that out. And more often than not, he's in contact with people that were actually on the dev team. So you oh, hear that like, is inside awesome. knowledge of why the game is that way. <laughs> that is super cool. I would totally check that out, for sure. But, um, yeah, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Uh, also find us at that handle on Instagram and TikTok. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Give us a like, rating, review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Next week, we're going to be covering... Halloween Kills, coming soon to Peacock. Uh, I'm assuming we'll also talk at length about the original 1978 Halloween and the more recent Halloween Legacy sequel, Halloween 2018, which I haven't actually seen yet. So, Seamus, you and I are in for a nice little double feature, I'd say. Yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be a lot of fun stuff. I can't wait. I've heard great things about that uh, 2018 one. I love the classic, obviously, and I'm excited to get into it, man. But until then... James Bond will return whenever the <laughs> IOI video game comes yeah. out. Yeah. Adios, amigos.